1: Hello, Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to another edition of Eye on the Enemy, powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, John Stolnis. You can follow me on Twitter at John Stolness. This is episode number twenty, and coming up in just a few minutes, we're going to talk with Mark Bullock, Washington reporter for the Athletic. We're going to get his thoughts on Washington's draft and the Washington schedule for this uh, for this year. Uh, get a sense from him how he feels the schedule makers treated Washington with all those one o'clock games, sending a message to the rebuilding. Club, perhaps, and we're going to get into some Eagles stuff as well. What are some reasonable expectations for Miles Sanders this year? We'll talk about a couple of interesting rules proposals made by the Eagles. And are the Eagles one of the most improved teams in the NFL? One insider thinks so. So we'll get into all that coming up here on episode 20 of Eye on the Enemy. Well, and joining me on this week's Eye on the Enemy, we're going to take a look at the Washington football team, and we're going to talk to the great Mark Bullock, Washington Redskins reporter for The Athletic. You can, of course, follow him on Twitter at MarkBullockNFL. We're going to talk about the Redskins' schedule. We're going to talk about their draft. Mark, thanks for coming on Eye on the Enemy again. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm
2: very good. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing all right, and... um. You know, we talked with uh, R.J. Ochoa last week uh, with the Dallas Cowboys' uh, SB Nation site, blogging the boys, and they're obviously feeling very good about themselves after the draft that they had. Washington had the number two overall pick, and uh, I was just wondering, based on how your draft went, how Washington's draft went, how you were feeling just in general about uh, about draft night.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, w- when when you come away from a draft with a talent like Chase Young, you can't be unhappy with, with how things went. Um, I, I think it's... I, I didn't come out of it feeling like there was a ton of excitement outside of Chase Young. It felt like it was a lot of potential. Um, it feels like th- they've got three or four guys that if they hit, then they're going to hit big, but they could mm-hmm. just as easily bust and, and get nothing out of it so um, but at the end of the day if Chase Young fulfills his potential then nobody's going to care about the rest of the draft class um, in three or four or five years time because he's going to be the difference maker but right. ov- overall I, I I think there certainly is plenty of potential in the guys they've got um, I, I don't have the same buzz feeling out of the dr- this draft that I've had out of the past few because they've had a couple of decent drafts in recent years but mm-hmm. um I I think there is certainly some Sort of boom or bust potential from this
1: class. Well, you obviously with the new head coach and Ron Rivera, you obviously had a different influence there as far as the draft was concerned. Uh, making you know with the picks that were made, and you know, I, I want to talk to you about uh, the first round pick. And obviously, Chase Young is a tremendous is a tremendous prospect. He's a tremendous talent. He's probably going to be a Pro Bowler just about every year of his career. I'm I'm already having nightmares of him coming after <laughs> Carson twice <laughs> twice a year, every single year for the next five to seven years. But you know. The Washington didn't have a second round pick, and this is a team that needed a lot of a lot of help. They needed a lot of help on both sides of the ball. Dwayne Haskins, after this offseason, still outside of Terry McLaurin, doesn't really have a, tr- a tremendous offensive talent t- to go along with McLaurin, and at the time when they made the pick I thought you know what yeah just stick it to overall take Chase Young he's going to be a stud he's going to be one of those guys that can pressure the quarterback he can totally transform a defensive line I mean I think I think Washington has one of the best line defensive lines in football but would it have what about moving back and getting a second round pick to you know because you draft number 2 overall and then you don't pick again till number 66 w- I, I, the more I think about it, the more I think, man, maybe they should have dropped down to four or five or six if the opportunity was there and maybe pick up a second round pick or pick up an additional third rounder that you could move up into the second round or something like that. As you look back and you look at how the draft fell and, and what they did, would that, are, do you, are you happy with them sticking at number two overall or would you, was there more merit to maybe moving down a couple and picking up a second rounder?
2: Uh, Yeah, so I was pretty publicly um, out there, pretty much the whole draft process saying that I would stick it to and just take Chase Young, uh, and I wouldn't get too cute with it because of how highly I rated Chase Young and and, um, how impactful he was on a a play-by-play basis when when I studied him. I I watched basically every game he played in college, so um, I was blown away by that. So he he was too good to pass on in my eyes, unless they got uh, an offer that just blew them away. And it would have had to have been something like the RG3 trade um, to, to get them to listen. Um, And so I certainly think that they were open to offers, but as I say, the price would have, would have been very, very high and it didn't seem like anyone was going to do it. Miami, I think did a pretty good job of kind of, Disguising their intent and, and playing down their interest in tour, um, mm. and and perhaps had there been a normal off season and, and Tua got to go work out in places and have a big public pro day and and the the Tua hype train had built up, maybe yeah. um, the Redskins would have been able to have you know sold a little bit more interest in that and forced the Dolphins' hands. But um, as it was, I, I I think there was certainly a that was the main debate for Reskins fans pretty much since January was, do they stick it to and take young or do they trade back? And I was always a uh, stick it to take the the best player in the draft and be happy about that. Um, could they have traded back? Sure. But I, it's, it's very easy to say in hindsight, yeah, you could trade back and maybe add an extra first and second round pick and, and you have more chances to hit. But I, I, you also have a chance to miss with those picks. And I don't sure. think any of those players are going to be as impactful on a down by down basis that young can be
1: outside of chase young. What was your, what do you think was the, the next best draft pick that the team made?
2: Um, it's an interesting one. Uh, I I liked a few of the picks um, for in terms of the value they got. I think Sadiq Charles in the fourth round was a, a good pickup. Um,
1: the offensive and, tackle out of LSU for yeah, folks who may not have been following. Yeah,
2: yeah, left tackle out of LSU. Um, they picked him about five minutes after confirming the Trent Williams trade to San Francisco. Um, mm-hmm. And and when when I watch him, there he ha- certainly has some issues um, and. and Um, some technical flaws that he does need to work on, um, particularly his hand placement. Um, But he has very good feet. He's um, pretty athletic. And he's someone that I think could contribute earlier than most people expect. And I I think he can fill in and and be, um, or it'll certainly become a solid left tackle. Um, And that is a huge need. And if you can fill even an average left tackle in the fourth round, you're, you're doing pretty well in the draft. So I think in terms of value, um, that was a good pick, um, and then I, I I'll give you one more. I I, I liked. Um, I actually quite like their undrafted free agent Thaddeus Moss, the tight mm. end out of LSU as well, his, his teammate. Um, yeah. Who um, a lot of people didn't buy into him because of his last name, and they were like, oh, people just think he's good because he's Randy Moss's son. He's mm. plays nothing like Randy Moss, and he. Um, He's a much more of a blocking tight end than a, a potential fullback, H-back type. Um, but there is certainly a, a role for that in the the offense that Scott Turner is looking to bring to Washington. Um, and I think uh, he's someone that could well make the team with the lack of depth that the Redskins have at, at tight end and, and fullback.
1: Now, now, granted, I am not a college football expert. I focus more on on the pro game, so I don't I don't pretend to have in depth awareness of Antonio Gibson coming into the draft, but reading as much as I did about him and and looking at the stat line, taking him at number 66 overall in the third round, Antonio Gibson, the young uh, the running back wide receiver combo out of Memphis, seemed like a reach to me, seemed like a guy who the team was saying, we really need to get s- somebody on the offensive side of the ball who can make some plays for Dwayne Haskins, and, and here's a guy who... At Memphis, had a high touchdown percentage. I mean, he had 71 touches in his, in his final year at Memphis. He had 12 touchdowns, averaged 15.5 yards on those touches. I mean, that's, that's a great percentage. But it's interesting to me, only 33 carries and only 38 catches in his final year at Memphis. I, I just wasn't sure that he had enough of a resume to be taken there in the third round. So what was Washington's thinking as far as you can tell with, with grabbing Gibson there in the third round?
2: Yeah, I I don't necessarily disagree with you. I I think he was probably someone that they possibly could have got around uh, later, maybe even as far as in the fifth round. I don't know whether he would have fallen that far. Um, I have heard since then that um, certainly there's some people that believe that he would have gone within the next few picks had the Redskins not taken him. So um, perhaps he wouldn't have fallen. But I think it was a case of... They really liked how he fit within what Scott Turner is looking to do offensively um, they, and how Rivera is looking to build a, a team. Um, Rivera and Turner both preached versatility um, and they want players to be able to fill multiple roles and, and Turner we saw with the Panthers um, with the likes of Christian McCaffrey and, and Curtis Samuel that guys that can move around and, and generate matchup, Problems because of they're they're almost positionless. That they, they can line up at wide receiver, they can line up in running back. You you can motion them from out wide to in the backfield and vice versa. Um, and it causes the defense all sort of issues just from a personnel standpoint. Who do you you know? Do you go with an extra um, an extra defensive back in case he moves to receiver, or do you go with an extra linebacker and then? Be vulnerable if he motions to the start, and a linebacker has to try to cover him. So, I think it was a case of they they really liked how he fit with the team, and so he probably had a higher grade with the skins than he would have with other teams because of his fit. Um, and yeah. I, I think it was a case of like Gibson and, and, and Antonio Gandy Golden, who they drafted in the fourth round. That was kind of guys that they felt fit them better than probably fit other teams and and so that's probably why they they were happy to p- perhaps reach a little bit for him
1: yeah that's always a dangerous thing though trying to find a guy who you think's going to fit with your with your individual scheme over i mean we the eagles you know i think we i personally feel like the eagles did the same thing in the first round with rager uh sure. inst- instead of justin jefferson i i felt i just feel like justin jefferson's I think it's more certain he's going to be a productive NFL player than Rager, but they like the specific skill set. I know that's how a lot of teams go about filling the holes in their rosters, trying to, they, you know, they've, they've got these offenses that do a certain thing and they want to have these guys fill certain certain roles on the defensive side of the football too. I mean, there's yep. a lot of times you pass up guys who might might be a more complete player but doesn't do the, the one or two specific things you want a linebacker to do or you, you want a tight end to do or something like that. and yeah. So that always makes me a little bit nervous.
2: Yeah, it, it's um, you do worry that you think, oh well, I could have got a better value player that has more upside and what have you. But he he, it it's not that he is a bad player, um, right? As you right. you pointed out, the production that he had, while his touches may have been limited, the explosiveness is clearly there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I think from having watched a bunch of Panthers film for Scott Turner, who, who's the new Redskins offensive coordinator um you can see a clear role that gibson can fill and can fill right away um and, and yeah. that's something that um i i, I think they it's the, the redskins in the past they drafted a guy like Josh stocks on the on, on the flip yeah. side of he was just the best talent available yeah. um but they didn't have a fit for him within the offense he he yeah. won a certain way he did he he was a receiver that separates vertically um rather than with route running or anything like that he pulls off spectacular catches above dbs and stuff but you have to have a certain style of offense to for that receiver to be successful and a certain style of quarterback and at the time it was Kirk cousins and, and that's just not what cousins was at the time he wasn't gonna throw 50 50 balls to to a rookie receiver so um while they, they they went down that route and were like, okay, we'll take the best talent available, doxson didn't pan out because they didn't fit his skill set to the, to the team and they didn't fit the team to his skill set. Whereas this is a more natural fit and, and there's a, a clear path for Gibson to have success within this system, which for me lets it slide a little bit. But I don't disagree that perhaps they they could have got him slightly later and, and maybe there was some perhaps better talents on the board.
1: Well, and Eagles fans listening to this are vibing on what you're saying because that's the worry now with the J.J. Arthego Whiteside pick the Eagles made last year is they got a guy just like Doxon who you talked about, 50-50 ball guy, but they already have a guy like that, in Alshon Jeffrey. At least last year, that's the role that Jeffrey was yeah. filling, and they needed a speed guy, and they got Artega Whiteside instead. So they corrected that this year. You know, there's, there's, you know, there's, there's risks to, to everything in life. So, <laughs> 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 darned if you do, and darned if you don't. Um, yeah. I, want, let me, I wanted to get your thoughts a little bit more on the Trent Williams trade, too. I mean, here's a guy that even going back to last year, it didn't seem like there was really much of a chance that he was ever going to play for Washington again, given uh, the issues that he had with Washington's diagnosis of the tumor um, that that, he's, that Williams feels could have cost him his life. And that, there was, that, that that's, Washington was maybe—well, let me ask you, you, was Washington holding out for too much last year? Did they miss the boat? on the window to trade Trent Williams last year and had to settle for a fifth rounder in, in this year's draft and a third rounder next year? Uh,
2: they certainly missed the boat. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think they were holding out for too much last year. I think the, the issue was, is that uh, they had a very spiteful man running the team in, in Bruce Allen. And, <laughs> uh, Bruce Allen would rather hurt the team's chances and, and not let Trent Williams get what he wants than, say, fine, we'll let you get what you want, but we're going to benefit the team by getting a, a first-round pick. And there are reports saying they could have got that last year or the equivalent of a first-round pick value last year um, at around the trade deadline. Um, I, I don't know exactly what they could have got, um, but they they certainly should have been able to get more than what they did get for him. Um, and going into this off-season, it felt like there was a bit of momentum for him potentially staying because... Obviously, they fired Bruce Allen. They they fired the whole coaching staff. Um, they fired the medical staff or the head trainer of the medical staff, Larry Hess, who um, had been very close with Dan Snyder, and, and he was the one that Trent Williams really had a beef with. Um, so it felt like there was a bit of momentum that could bring Williams back, but Rivera kind of made clear that nobody was getting a new contract, Um Right away, he, he wanted to get guys in the building and, and meet guys and really learn what each guy is about. Um, and then from there, be like, okay, you've proved your worth to me. You can have a new deal. Um, which I, I think is fair in a way, but it's also, you know, he's Trent Williams. His proof of how good he is is on tape for the last 10 years. Um, yeah. So I, I, I personally felt you, you could possibly make an exception for Trent Williams, but I, I understand that. It, in Ron Rivera's first year, he doesn't want to be caving to one player's demands and giving them a new contract. Um, sure. So um, in the end, they, they they decided to move on. I, I understand that. And it, it seems like the best deal that they could have gotten was the the deal that they did get with San Francisco. Um, but yeah, long story short is, yes, they missed the boat to trade him last year. They could have got far more for him because in terms of on-the-field talent, he is worth a first-round pick and then so.
1: So on the whole, I mean, I don't know if you do draft grades at this point, but you really can't give a grade a grade a draft until they've played for a few years in the league. But just based on value, based on um, the players that they took, and, and how things are shaping up for twenty twenty in the long term future, the you know, how do well how would you grade the draft? Even if you don't want to give it a letter grade, a pass fail, that sort of thing.
2: Sure. Um, yeah, I'm not a huge fan of draft uh, draft grades personally, but um, I, I would say that it's a draft where. A lot of the hopes are pinned on Chase Young, and and I think he's someone that is capable of you know fulfilling that potential. And if he hits um, even to uh, a fraction of his overall potential, then they've got a real good player there. And and in five or ten years' time, we will care about the rest of the draft. But I I think the likes of Gibson, um, Sadiq, Charles, Antonio, Gandy, Golden, those guys can all are are, are kind of boom bust players, and you figure you the chances are you won't hit on all of them but if you hit on two or three um of, of the rest of the players in the draft um and they got some guys that can be some like core backup special team type players um mm. then they, they they i think they have improved their team um and, and obviously chase young his his status is is what makes or breaks the draft and i, I think he should come good so i i think it will be ultimately a, a passing grade
1: well, let's move quickly to the schedule, and I know once again the Redskins just have a slew of one o'clock Eastern starts here <laughs> this year. Uh, Thirteen one o'clock starts, no night games for Washington, and I guess that's just that's just what happens when you're a team that's in full on rebuild mode like Washington is. Um, they get a, they get a Thanksgiving Day game against the Cowboys, which is always a, which is always a fun matchup just based on the history between the two teams. But I certainly look at the schedule, and I don't think the schedule makers did Washington any favors. Uh, The first four games are against teams that could make the playoffs. They have to open against the Eagles at home once again this year. Uh, They have to take on the Cardinals and the Browns in Arizona and at Cleveland. They have to take on the Ravens at home. They get the Rams. I think the Giants are going to be a little bit better this year. Uh, I like what they've done this offseason. you got the Cowboys. It's just going to be – it looks like they've got a rough stretch in the middle of the season, too. What is? Uh, have you done a one-loss uh, rundown of the schedule at this point?
2: Uh, not publicly, no. Um, I, I, I've, <laughs> I've looked down up and down the schedule, and it, it doesn't look particularly great for them. Um, but it, I, it is kind of, a, as you said, a rebuilding year, and it's a year for Rivera to come in and, and – play a lot of young players and see who's worth building the team around and who's not worth pursuing. Um, And and so um, it's a very much an experimental year. And so it's a team that could quite easily win just three or four games. Um, I think even... I think with the team that they have, if if you say like Chase Young comes in and, and does what Bosa did for the 49ers last year and, and puts that defensive line over the top and they become a, a very good defense, um, and then Dwayne Haskins starts to show his talent, I think even if you say those big ifs mm. turn good, you're looking at a team that probably wins at, at most a sort of the ceilings around eight wins. Mm-hmm. So it's still not a team that's going to win a huge amount of games. And it's a game a team that I think probably most likely will be in the four to five win range. Um, and I, I could see that being worse. Um, it, the, looking at that schedule, as you say, they, the first stretch of games before the week ain't by, you, you could see them quite easily losing every single one of those games. Uh, mm. yeah. The Eagles opening, the Cardinals are going to be I think they're going to be pretty good with Kyler Murray and, and the additions they've made this year. The Browns are, are stacked with talent, and we'll see whether they can finally start putting stuff together from a front office point of view. Um, the Ravens, I think, are one of the best teams in the league. The Rams are potentially where they could get their first win. Yeah, I, I, I got don't...
1: that as I have that as a win, too. I have that as their first win, to be yeah, honest, to be honest I, with you.
2: I, yeah. I could see that because the Rams are kind of in an odd spot where they've had a bit of coaching staff turnover um, they're, they're up against the cap and, and they've been trying to extend all their best players and, and they've lost a few people and they they haven't had as many draft picks and all this kind of stuff so you could see that potentially being an upset one but I, I having known McVeigh from his time in Washington I wouldn't necessarily bet against mm-hmm. him you know turning that thing around pretty quickly so uh, I think by week five, we'll have a pretty good idea of where, what the Rams are, and, and that that could quite easily become a loss. Um, the Giants, I think, from a talent basis, I think the Giants and the Redskins are kind of equal. and I I, I would probably slightly edge the Redskins ahead of them, but oh. I, I think it would probably be pretty close. Um, and so I could see that as a potential win, but having said that, um, I think the Redskins... Against the Giants in in the uh, in the 2010s, I think they're 13 and seven. Um, the Giants are 13 and seven, so mm. um, uh, it's not a good look for the Redskins, and, and especially in New York. Um, yeah, I, I think they've only won three of the last ten games in New York, so I, I think that's usually a banana peel for them. And then, hmm. yeah, Dallas before the bye, you, you you could easily see them having zero or at most. Probably two wins before the bye, um, which would set up for a pretty bad season.
1: Yeah, and then you have Thanksgiving against the Cowboys in Dallas. You have to go to Pittsburgh to take on the Steelers in Week 13. Then you're in San Francisco to take on the 49ers, and you get the Seahawks at home. I mean, that's the Eagles in the last week of the season. Yeah. It's a a rough stretch. I mean, I I have them going on a nice little run there. I I think I have them on a three-game winning streak against the Cowboys, Giants, and Lions there in the middle of the season, getting to about 4-5, and and then, unfortunately, um, a little bit of a losing streak there just the way the schedule shakes out. But the thing with these schedules is, and I say this before every year, there's always teams on the schedule that look like they're going to be great that aren't, and there's always teams on the schedule that look like they're going to be pushovers that turn out to be much better than anybody expected. So it's just for kicks and giggles. (laughs) Yeah, 100%.
2: It's it's why I never do anything publicly on a schedule (laughs) thing, uh, because you never really know how a team's going to turn out. After two weeks, suddenly the whole thing is completely flipped on its head and everyone that was good is suddenly bad and everyone that was bad is suddenly good so uh, exactly yeah it's very hard to predict but uh, i i think you're probably right in that the most likely chance of them picking up some wins is that kind of stretch in the middle where, where they come out of the bye they play the giants at home they they travel to detroit and then they play the bengals at home and and those are the other teams that are in the top five of the draft with them so you'd figure that would be their best chance of picking up some wins um so it, will they finish with three wins or four or five possibly Uh, we'll, we'll see
1: well, we have a, a bit more of an off-season to go here. We we're kind of entering the NFL dead zone, and we unfortunately aren't going to have any OTAs to talk about or anything else like that. Hopefully we get a training camp started on time. I, I would love to get you back on again uh, in a few weeks, and we'll just kind of do another check-in with Washington because there are still free agents out there. There are still moves that the teams could make in order to improve themselves, and uh, we'll see if Washington's able to pull any of that stuff off. In the meantime, folks, even though the NFL dead zone is kind of hitting us here, there's still lots of good stuff to to read about so make sure you're checking mark's work in the athletic and follow him on twitter at mark bullock nfl mark thanks for coming back on eye on the enemy i really appreciate it
2: yeah thanks for having me always fun
1: well when we come back we're going to dip into some eagles stuff here and we'll talk about miles sanders some interesting rules proposals put forth by the eagles and are the birds one of the most improved teams in the nfl we'll tackle all of that next coming up here on eye on the enemy
3: support for this show comes from sylvan learning as a parent and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com.
1: And we're back with Eye on the Enemy. So, Miles Sanders, uh, the great young running back, he had a terrific season for the Eagles in his rookie year last year. Obviously, expectations are sky high for him as he enters into his sophomore campaign. Um You know, he really developed during the course of last year from a guy who really had trouble finding the holes, knowing what to do when he was uh, trying to run the ball up the middle to a guy who seemed to be figuring it out as the season went along. And when you add in his ability to catch the ball out of the backfield, the expectations and the hope for Miles Sanders is really high coming into 2020. He thinks that he can have an MVP season this year. I'm talking about a league MVP season this year. That is undoubtedly going to be an almost impossible hurdle to try and clear because running backs just aren't named league mvps anymore the last time that it happened was in 2012 when adrian peterson was named mvp by the associated press before that it hadn't happened since 2005 and 2006 when sean alexander of the seahawks and ladanian tomlinson of the chargers won it in back-to-back seasons so since 2007 it has been quarterbacks 13 out of the last 14 years named MVP by the by the Associated Press, and that's just the way it goes. Quarterbacks are in charge. They're, the, the, the teams, the offenses, and really a team's success is almost entirely dependent on the quarterback. So you have to have a pretty special season to be a league MVP if you're a running back. I'm talking a 2,000-yard season. I'm talking about a 20-touchdown season. That's the kind of season we're talking about. Is Miles Sanders capable of that? I don't know. Not many running backs have ever done that before. He'd have to be it would have to be something historic. I think the larger question here is as the Eagles offseason is continuing, they're rumored to be pursuing a couple of veteran running backs here to complement Miles Sanders and Boston Scott. They, they re-signed Corey Clement. Uh, they have Elijah Holyfield uh, in, the, in the mix as well. Those are the two guys right now who are the leading contenders for number three and number four running backs on the roster. But do they need a veteran? Do they need a veteran presence? A guy like Carlos Hyde with the 49ers last year, who accumulated more than 1,000 yards of total offense, but really is not a very inspiring choice. Uh, he's not a guy who's who, who you who's going to pile up the yardage for you. But that's not what you're looking for here, anyway. You're looking for a guy who can take over for a game or two if Miles Sanders has to go out with an injury, which you know he probably will at some point in 2020. So Carlos Hyde is one of the guys, and he he fits he fits scheme wise because uh, Rich Scangarello, who's essentially the, the the offensive coordinator for Doug Peterson here, but doesn't have the title, he's going to be taking a lot of what he what he did in San Francisco and trying to incorporate it here into the Philadelphia offense. And obviously, Carlos Hyde had a solid season uh, with Scangarello last year. There's also oft-injured running back Devontae Freeman, who has had some great seasons in the past. There's obviously less tread on his tires. If you can get either one of those guys for a cheap deal, I would do it. Um, I heard Shio Kapadia on the 94 WIP Morning Show earlier this week uh, basically saying there's no need for the Eagles to spend big money on either of these guys. Wait until the end of the summer. And I agree with that 100%. There, There's no need to pursue this right now if somebody else snaps up Hyde or snaps up Freeman for more money than the Eagles are willing to pay I'm fine with that because I do think Miles Sanders is going to get the the vast majority of the touches Uh, I think Adam Kaplan was reporting something like 15 to 18 touches per game this year is is the idea for Miles Sanders I think that's about right might be on the a little bit on the light side we might be looking at a guy who can get 20 touches a game I think a lot of it's going to depend on how involved Boston Scott is in the offense is what we saw from Boston Scott at the end of last year, indicative of what he's going to do in 2020. Hard to say. I mean, we've seen guys have a good solid four or five game run and then never really put it together the following year. I mean, Corey Clements, a guy like that, had a great 2017, had a great playoff run and wasn't really able to put it together in 18 or 19 because of injuries. So we'll see what Boston Scott gives the team as a receiver out of the backfield. He, he ran the ball effectively at times last year as well. So he can be the compliment to Miles Sanders. Do they need another a veteran guy? I think we'd all feel better if Hyde or Freeman was on the team. But you don't break the bank for those guys when you've got Miles Sanders and Boston Scott already in the backfield. And if you believe Corey Clement does have talent and he's healthy now, and that the reason he hadn't been doing much in 2018 or 19 was because of injuries. If those injuries are behind him, maybe Corey Clement is the veteran running back that you need. But I think this team is going to be a team that uses three running backs pretty regularly. But it's clear Sanders is going to be the guy. He's going to... I don't think you can attach the words bell cow to Miles Sanders. I don't think they want to use him that way. But I was looking at some of the fantasy projections that are out there. PFF's fantasy projections have Miles Sanders with 941 rushing yards this year, seven touchdowns, and 357 receiving yards. That's about 1,300 yards of offense. So that's pretty good. I mean, I think we would certainly take a 1,300-yard season from Miles Sanders. Fantasy Pros has similar numbers, just under 1,000 yards, 996 rushing yards for him. They have him doing a little bit more receiving the ball out of the backfield at 440 yards, so that's about 1,400 yards of total offense. Either way, I think that's a pretty good gauge of where Miles Sanders will be in 2020, somewhere between 1,300 and 1,400 yards of total offense, and that's Brian Westbrook stuff, man. That's Those are Brian Westbrook-type numbers. That's the kind of season I think we can be expecting from Miles Sanders is a, a good Brian Westbrook type season. Th- these guys have a lot of similarities. Neither was taken in the first round, but both have, I think we're seeing now, first round talent. And, and Miles Sanders has a chance to get the kind of production that Brian Westbrook did. Remember, Westbrook was sharing duties with Deuce Daly and Carell Buckhalter for the first few years of his career. Would not hurt Miles Sanders at all if Boston Scott... Took on had a similar amount of activity that Carell Buckhalter did. Buckhalter was a better runner between the tackles than Boston Scott is, but if you're talking about what kind of touches Sanders could have, I think what you're looking at, what Brian Westbrook got, in his first few years with the Eagles is a good comparison there. So I think that's what we're looking at. 15 to 20 touches a game for Miles Sanders, about a thousand yards rushing about 350 to 450 yards receiving out of the backfield, a 1300 to 1400 yard season uh, of total offense sounds about right to me for Miles Sanders here in 2020. Is that MVP level stuff? No, he's going to have to get 2000 yards of total offense, score a bunch of touchdowns in order to overtake the quarterbacks that are out there. But I like where his head's at couple of interesting rules proposals that the Eagles have made here uh, for the owners to consider. Two, of, They they made four proposals and withdrew two of them. Uh, one of the ones that they withdrew was to modify the blindside block rule that would have prevented unnecessary fouls. They've also withdrawn a rule that would restore preseason and regular season overtime to 15 minutes and implement rules to minimize the impact of the overtime coin toss. So we have a whole lot more information other than that on those two rules that they've withdrawn. However, they've left in the following two remaining rules that will be voted on during next week's virtual meetings. It'll be on May 28th. The first is to make permanent the expansion of automatic replay reviews to include scoring plays and turnovers negated by a foul and any successful or unsuccessful try attempt. That would just make permanent a rule that had been a temporary rule that currently exists. Here's the interesting one, and one that is said to be gaining a lot of steam, would be to provide an alternative to the onside kick rule that would allow a team that is trailing in the game an opportunity to maintain possession of the ball after scoring. And as Pro Football Talk mentioned, there's growing support for this. It would replace the onside kick with a fourth and 15 play from the kicking team's 25 yard line. So instead of trying for an onside kick, a team would have the opportunity to try a 4th and 15 from their own 25-yard line. Under the proposal, teams would be able to do this a maximum of two times per game. And I've also seen that the team wouldn't necessarily have to be trailing in order to do this. So just like a team could do an onside kick at any point during the game if they wanted to, they could try a 4th and 15 from their own 25 after they've scored any they want, a maximum of two times per game. Brings a lot of strategy into the game. I love this idea. I think this idea is fantastic. I do love the onsides kick. I think it is interesting. It's always incredibly exciting when a team is able to actually recover an onside kick. We remember some of the best moments in Eagles history have had onside kicks featured prominently in them. Of course, there's the pickle juice game where the Eagles started, what was it, the 2000 season with an onside kick and recovered. And then, of course, in the Deshaun Jackson punt return, miracled the Meadowlands touchdown game when, during the comeback, David Akers, again, was the master of the onside kick, pulled off a great surprise onside kick, which the Eagles recovered. Two great moments in Eagles history with two onside kicks. That being said, the onside kick is very rarely recovered by the kicking team. I think this would, I think a fourth and 15 is also a very low percentage play. Of course, if you don't get it, the other team gets the ball from your 25 yard line and essentially already well in field goal range. The game is essentially probably over if you're trying it at the end of the game while you're trailing. That being said, I think it provi- provides a lot more strategy and would be very, very interesting. I would love to see this uh, be implemented as a new rule in the NFL. Finally, I have not had a, a great feeling about this Eagles offseason. I, I just haven't I haven't been able to understand a lot of the decisions that Howie Roseman was making. I, I've lost a little bit of confidence in him as a general manager. The Jalen Hurts pick certainly Factors into that a lot, but I also didn't understand why they didn't go after Byron Jones more more aggressively. Why they didn't try and uh, solve the cornerback position that way instead of trade instead of dealing away draft capital in order to get Darius Slay. I also didn't like the obviously the Hertz pick. Uh, there's a you know why they didn't pursue a wide receiver in free agency. A lot of these different different things they've done this offseason is not the way I would have done them. But one insider disagrees with me, and, and when asked which team improved the most this season, national NFL writer Jeremy Fowler uh, said the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, he was—you he you know, a lot of people are looking at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You get Tom Brady, uh, you, you get Gronk, you're going to be better. <laughs> when you move from James Winston, James Winston to Tom Brady, I think you're going to improve— question is, how how much does Tom Brady have left in the tank? He, he, it looked like he was living on borrowed time last year with New England, but maybe going to play in Tampa uh, under Bruce Arians, maybe that's something that uh, energizes him and, and he has another great season or two when, when he's got Gronk back in the fold. So, But a lot of people are obviously looking at Tampa Bay as the most improved team this offseason. But Jeremy Fowler says Philadelphia and notes the additions of Javon Hargrave and Darius Slay bolstering the Eagles defensive attack and I forget about Hargrave sometimes and I, I Fletcher Cox to me had a less than stellar season last year especially for for the amount that you're paying him and we forgot that he never got a chance to play with Malik Jackson last year if Malik Jackson is healthy. And you pair him with Fletcher Cox and you add Hargrave, who is a disruptive force in the middle of the defensive line. you may not need as much on the on the outside you may not as may not need as much from Derek Barnett and Brandon Graham who are fine but not spectacular. they don't generate a ton of sacks. I know they get some pressures I, and I know that the the analytics say that they're better than the numbers would indicate. I would like to have a little more from the edge rush position. But if you're getting a lot more from the interior, and maybe Hargrave plays on the outside a little bit from time to time, or maybe you move one of those tackles to the outside from time to time, maybe the pass rush is a lot better here in 2020. I don't like that they went with Darius Slay over Byron Jones, but Darius Slay is a great cornerback, and he is going to improve the, the the secondary tremendously. They finally have a guy who you can put on another team's number one receiver and not have to worry too much about it, so that is that is a huge improvement over what they've had the last couple of years. They spent the better part of the past year, Fowler writes, com- combing the trade market for corner help and holding out paid and holding out paid off. So yes, getting Slay for a third and a fifth round pick is good value. Byron Jones just costs you money; he wouldn't have cost you any picks. But if you had to make a trade, Slay for a third and a fifth is good value. Hargrave is a versatile interior lineman, according to Fowler, with pass rush explosion. He also notes slot corner Nickel Roby Coleman and safety Will Parks bring good depth to the team. Maybe we're not giving the Eagles enough credit for those particular moves. Maybe those particular moves will really strengthen the secondary more than we happen to believe. And he, he likes the addition of Jalen Rager. You heard me mention with Mark Bullock a second ago that I would have felt better with Justin Jefferson, but... We were complaining last year that drafting JJ Artega Whiteside in that spot didn't make a whole lot of sense because it didn't fit with what the Eagles had. With Alshon Jeffrey, you needed another speed guy. You didn't need another Alshon Jeffrey on the team, and that's what you had with JJ Artega Whiteside. So maybe Howie Roseman did the right thing by getting the playmaker, the speed guy on the outside in Rager, as opposed to Justin Jefferson, who might be a better overall player, but doesn't give you the speed aspect that. We all said we really wanted. So, Fowler doesn't mention anything about Jalen Hurts here, and maybe you know Jalen Hurts is not going to play into this team's plans here in 2020. He's just not. No matter what you're reading else elsewhere, he's just not. He's not going to be ready to be the team's backup quarterback this year. And they've got too many other playmakers. They've got too many other guys on the offensive side of the ball now for Jalen Hurts to be in there as what a running back, as a wide receiver. They're going to have a as you they're going to have trouble figuring out who the wide receivers are going to be anyway as opposed to having Hertz out there running routes as well. So I don't see that happening either here. In 2020, So it's a more positive look on the Eagles offseason, and I can see, I can certainly see a path to the Eagles being one of the most improved teams in the NFL. I'm not sure that I'm buying it 100%, but always good to hear a more optimistic take, and Jer- Jeremy Fowler looking at the Eagles offseason, uh, taking a more optimistic view of what Philadelphia could be here in 2020. Folks, that's going to do it for this edition of Eye on the Enemy. My thanks once again to Mark Bullock from The Athletic for coming on the podcast. Just a reminder, folks, to head on over to the Bleeding Green Nation Podcast feed and leave a five star rating and a review for this podcast, Eye on the Enemy, and for all the podcasts that we have uh, here on the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed. And please continue to check out bleedinggreennation.com each and every day for the latest links, for the latest news and information, the latest player interviews uh, as they're coming out, and the latest analysis. You won't find better Eagles analysis anywhere on the Intergoogle than at bleedinggreennation.com. Thanks everybody for tuning in. I'll talk to you all next time here on Eye on the Enemy. T and